Okay, so today's daf is set, and we pick up on um, uh, five lines from the top. So we finally have moved on from Echad Nisan and uh, unpacking the different ways in which Echad Nisan is Rosh Chodesh, particularly with a uh, look at uh, Baal Ta'achir, an extensive look at Baal Ta'achir. Then a brighter that had a, a number of other ways in which Nisan was Rosh Chodesh, uh, not Rosh Chodesh, which Nisan was Rosh Hashanah. And now we move on to the other uh, Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and the issue about Maaser Behema. So we have that, um, that the idea of the Tanakhama, which is that Elo is um, the Rosh Hashanah from Aser Behema. And now the debate, the Eliezer of Shimon means the Echad Tishrei. The Eliezer of Shimon say it is on the uh, first of Tishrei. So let's take a look. Amr of Yochanan says, Rev Yochanan, Vishnam Nikra Echadarshu. They both learned it out from the same verse. What is the verse? Um, um, so the um, the uh, literally the the blankets will 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 um, cloak the sheep, but this is understood to mean that the male sheep will mount the female sheep. They'll be covered up, you know. So I mean, the one sheep will cover up the other in this act, you know, in having in uh, in, uh, in 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 having sex. The Amakim Ya'atsibar, the valleys will be, um, you know, will be sort of uh, cloaked in uh, grain. Yitzra'u Yashiru, they will, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, bleed forth or trumpet forth, even give song. So what does that have to do with anything? So let's take a look. So it says, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir holds that the Rosh Hashanah for the, <coughs> the Ma'afir Behima, which means when the, when the, you know, the year of the sheep ends, Sounds like Chinese year of the sheep. Anyway, <laughs> um, is um, uh, hold on. He, so he says, Rabbi Meir Savar, Karim When is it that the sheep are mounting? You know that they're uh, that they're um, uh, reproducing. We're well, not reproducing, but that that, that they're being, um, you know that they're basically what's the word? Not um, uh, conceive, conceiving. Conceiving. Um, These monks That happens. Um, that mating happens at the time when the valleys are cloaked in grain. Now, the Amatai Amakimya Atsudbar, when are the valleys cloaked in grain? But Adar, okay, it is in Adar. So it is Nisan, is like when the, you know, grain becomes ripe and the, um, the, the barley becomes ready to be harvested, but the original cloaking of the grain already happens in Adar. So the, um, so the sheep are therefore um, mating in Adar. So, um, so Abrot for Adar, they they conceive in Adar, and they give birth in Av because uh, apparently sheep give birth after five months of gestation. So Nisan Eir Stephen Tammuz Av, okay. So therefore they give birth in Av. So if they're giving birth in Av, that's the you know, New Year's crop of sheep get born in Av. So the Rosh Hashanah, the end of that year, you know, defines the end of one and the beginning of the next is after the new crop has been born. Rosh Hashanah Shalhem Elul. So the Rosh Hashanah is the first of Elul. Yes, so what's your question? How come we're looking? No, I know. Yes, okay, I thought I saw you raise your hand. No. Okay, fine. So Rosh Hashanah Shalhem Elul. Rabbi Lev Reb Shimon, Omrim, Rabbi Lev Reb Shimon say, Amatai Lashu Kari Matzon. No, when is it that the blankets are, being, are, the sheep are being cloaked with quote unquote blankets that they're mating? Bizman Kitroa'u Af Yashiru. It skips over the Amakim Ya'atubar and goes to Yitroa'u Afyashiru when they are uh, trumpeting forth and giving song. Amatai Shivalim Omrochira, when is it that the, that the uh, stalks are giving song? Meaning like the wind blows through the stalks and they make a rustling and that's the giving force, force of song that this is referring to. Right? The valleys that are cloaked in grain are giving forth song because the grain is like rustling in the wind. So when does that happen? That's Binisan. That's not an Adar. You know, they have to grow a little bit higher and, and, and get a little riper before this, uh, before this reality exists. So that, so it's only happening in Nisan when they're mating. They have roads in Nisan, so if they become pregnant in Nisan, they'll go to Elul, they give birth in Elul a month later. So if they're giving birth in Elul, Rosh Hashanah Shalahem Tishrei. Their Rosh Hashanah is Tishrei. So basically the question, although it's so fascinating that it's learning it from a verse, the question is, when are sheep mating? When do primarily do sheep give birth? 
and therefore after the basic the period where sheep are primarily giving birth then you are going to have the Rosh Hashanah to be the month that follows that that's the new year now of course one would imagine that both of these things are happening which is what the Gemara is going to say that there are sheep being born in you know in El uh, in El uh, and you have sheep being born in El or else you know what just looking at a puzzle I mean there must be a reality out there mm-hmm. and that's what the Gemara will say that actually it is happening in both in Av and in El the question is which one do you put your emphasis on okay so let's take a look at the Gemara yes, yes, sorry. Sorry. I, yeah fine. I was basically I mean, going to ask that this biblical it, would be, it should be Kumash not from Tehillim well okay that's not always such a question you know you could use Tehillim to do it's not nearly telling you how lucky it's just cluing you into the facts and so on but anyway let's take a look at the Gemara how much are you really going to get from the Tukki so Gemara does seem to treat it seriously let's take a look uh, so the Gemara says like this um, okay the one that says that you go you, that the mating occurs in um, Adar um, and not in Nisan doesn't it also speak about them bursting forth in trumpeting and in song which happens later in Nisan so so no that's like the ones that are late the late maters do it in Nisan okay but the primary mating happens in Adar and the primary birthing happens in Av but the other one doesn't it say that the uh, valleys will uh, be cloaked in grain so, you see, which happens in, in Adar, doesn't it say that that's also when the mating happens? No, that's the ones that are mating early. The Akin may Adar. But they start in Adar. Which means both things happen. There's mating in Adar, there's mating in Nisan. Because there's, mating, there's, there's birthing in Av, there's birthing in Elul. The question is, which one do you say is the primary? And which one do you say, yeah, that's the early one, or that's the late one. But the real one is this one. Right? So it's looking at the reality where both things are happening, where they're giving birth throughout the whole period, and identifying which is the one that I see to be the primary and which one am I going to sort of say is secondary. But they both agree that the Messias is both things happening. Now I have to tell you that if they're both agreeing that the Messias is that both things happen, it really does not, personally, I don't understand how you would put a Rosh Hashanah, you know, after the primary crop is born, before the late ones are born. You know, it's still all the ending of the birthing from the previous year. You want the Rosh Hashanah to be after the whole process is over. That's just after the primary part is over. So even, even if you admit that the primary thing is being born in Av, and, uh, yeah, Av, and the secondarily, the, the, you know, the late ones are being born in Elul, you would still say, fine, make the Rosh Hashanah after everything is born. Make the Rosh Hashanah in Tishrei. So I don't really understand, you know, the logic here that it all goes by what's primary rather than going when the whole thing is over, which could have everybody agreeing Tishrei. Anyway, that's my hour. Let's see where the Gemara goes with this. Yes, Charlie. Oh, uh, Steinsel says that actually most sheep conceive in the fall and give birth in the spring. So, so much for all of this. <laughs> so I have no comment. Does it have any attempt to reconcile that? Uh, not really. Okay, then. Excellent. So now the Gemara comes out. I love Babylonian sheep. Exactly. Uh, or, or Israel sheep. I mean, was it said to, to no. say where it's Does looking? It's it just a sheep no. in general? All right. So the Gemara says like this. Okay. Bishlam um, Rabbi Meir Kedeshi. So first Rabbi Meir, the verse reads well. Lavshu karim hatzon. When do they mate? Bizman shamakim yatubar. When the valleys are cloaked in grain in Adar. Siganami. And after that happens, there's also a next crop of Yitro af yashiru that do it when the when the, you know, the, when, when the uh, wheat, uh, when the grain is rustling and giving forth song. There's a later crop that happens in Nisan. But they focused the primary thing on Nisan and just the early thing on Adar. Hipchami, by the way, the pasuk should be written in the opposite order, right? The pasuk is, is, is strange. Should have started by saying that the mating happens when the grain is rustling in Nisan. Secondarily, there's also early ones that happen when the thing is originally when the valleys are originally closed in grain. So the pasuk is a funny read according to them because it's, it's giving primacy to the thing that they are saying is the secondary period. Elama Rava, so rather Rava says, 
everybody agrees that the basic mating period occurs like the Pusik says when the valley is cloaked in grain which means in Adar and if the basic period occurs in Adar then everybody agrees that the basic birthing period occurs in Av so what's the issue whether it's El or Tishrei so the Adar the heart of the high correctness here's what they're debating Aser to Aser you shall take your tithes so because it says you shall take your tithes in this double language, that's their top there, we say it's talking, it's alluding not only to the tithing of grain, but also to the tithing of animals. And linking the two. So for what purpose is it linking the two? Rebbe Meir Savar, Makish Master Behemoth Master Dagan, here's the reason the Torah compares the two. Why? Ma Master Dagan Samuch Gemaro Isuro, the same way by grain, when it is near being complete, or I shouldn't say it that way. Soon after the period of its completion is when you take Masya. What determine when is the new year for grain? We're going to learn in the next in the next clause of the Mishnah. Tishrei. Why, why Tishrei? What happens? What, what happens right around Tishrei? What Chag is Tishrei? Right? It's Sukkot. What Sukkot? Right? Chag Hasif. You're gathering in the grain. So the ending of the process of the grain determines when the new year is for Maaser. The Maaser year begins when the end process, uh, you know, when the process ended. Although it is interesting, right? Because talking about, you know, making a new year in the middle of a process, which is what I was talking about before the sheep, if Sukkot is when you're doing the gathering in, so then the new year is starting before the processing is fully complete, right? Which is a little bit bizarre. So anyway, but nevertheless, by the grain we see that the new year for Maaser is, is right after or juxtaposed to the ending of the previous, of the sort of, of the finishing of the previous, of, of the process of the grain. So, Samuch Ligmaro Isuro, Af Maaser Behemah, Samuch Ligmaro Isuro. So, similarly by animals, right juxtaposed to right after it's done, meaning if the birth is primarily happening in um, in um, Av so right after that period of it being done of it being born that's when you have the Rosh Hashanah in Elul right afterwards just like so it's paralleling in terms of the logic behind it Rabbi Leezer Rabbi Shimon but Rabbi Leezer and Rabbi Shimon so no Makish and here's the way they're linked not in terms of identifying a similar application of the same underlying reasoning but just completely looking at the form and they say, Mama Ser Dagan Rahishana Shalot Tishrei, Tishrei. No, it's a simple link. Tishrei Tishrei. So one says, yes, they're linked. How are they linked? The same date or the same logic. And if you say same date, it's Tishrei. If you say the same logic, it's going to be Elul. So that's what the Gemara says. Although again, it was, I think, a little bit more interesting putting the Pesach aside when it was actually acknowledging that this process happens over time, like the period of Chag Hasif, and then you sort of put the Rosh Hashanah after the primary period is over, after the whole period um, is over. Okay, yes. In general, that's a really interesting question in cultures. In other words, where do you mark a process? Like, when should Yom HaShawat? Uh-huh, right, yeah. right. There's a process of human experience, but you need to mark it with a memory. Mm-hmm. So it's part of the... Nice point. Nice point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So now the Gemara goes on. Let's take a look. So now, so we've done now two. We've done Nisan and Elul, although Elul is debated, but we ha- but we have the possibility of that second one of Maaser Behemah. And now we get to Tishrei, and Tishrei has a whole list of things. To remind you what the list of things are about Tishrei in the first Mishnah, it says Rosh Hashanah, Lishanim, for years, whatever that means. Ulishmitim, it starts, the new Shemitah year begins on, you know, the cycle of the Shemitah, what year is it in the cycle of the seven-year cycle, begins on Tishrei, like which Meister year it is, whether it's a Shemitah year, Yovlos, Yovo begins on Tishrei, Nitiyah Uyirakot. Nitiyah is planting for Orla, which year of Orla it is, gets incremented not from the date the tree was planted, you don't wait to the birthday of the tree, it gets incremented at Rosh Hashanah Tishrei. And Yerakot is Maaser Yerek. When the vegetables are harvested, you go by, you know, what, which Maaser year it goes by, it goes for them by Tishrei. Okay, so all these things, a lot about the agricultural mitzvot of Trumas and Maisros and Shemitah and, and Yovel and Selvah, well, and Yovel isn't exactly agricultural. Anyway, all of those things plus a few others. So now let's take a look, though, what the first line means. Lishanim, for years. What does that mean, the year, for years? For what purpose are you telling me that Tishrei is the beginning of, you know, of the year? Amar Papa, Lishtaros, for documents. 
this might sound familiar you know if it's predated it's invalid postdated it's valid so you have to make sure you're writing the right date on the document so you have to know whether to increment it so the Gemara said you know when does the year get incremented so one minute but the first line of the Mishnah is the first of Nisan is Rosh Hashanah for kings. So what's the halachic relevance of calling it a new year for kings? For documents. So make up your mind. Do you go by Nisan or Tishkin when you're incrementing the years on your documents? So the says, low kash. It's not difficult. Which is different whether it is the Jewish kings or the non-Jewish kings. The Jewish kings you will increment at Nisan because that also focuses on Chodesh HaZelechem Rosh Chadashim. You know, and the emphasis of Pesach and Nisan being the beginning of the year, the beginning of the counting of the months. And for non-Jewish kings you will go for the first of uh, Tishrei. And therefore, depending on whether, you're, whether you are dating your document to Jewish kings or non-Jewish kings, the years will increment differently. Okay? Business with a Jew, I gave the deed one way, and if I didn't, it could be. Gentile, I dated a different it could way. be. The Gemara also said that certain documents they said are supposed to be for the Gentile kings because of Shalom Malchus. You want to be, right. you know. Right. So, but yeah. So exactly when you do one, you know, there are different circumstances. Okay, but and also it's not just it's the same year, but you are, you know, when I do it with a non-Jew, I call it 2013, and when I do it with a Jew, I call it 2014. It's for a different king. So according to one, I'm saying, in the seventh year of King David's reign, and in the other, I'm saying, in the 24th year of so-and-so's reign. <coughs> so be, if you're, you're referencing a different king, and when you're doing a Jewish king, it goes by Nisan, non-Jewish, it goes by Shishrei. Now, interestingly, you know, I always understood that the Chiddush of the Torah, and this might, you know, still be true, but HaChodesh HaZelachem Rosh Chadashim is that because the natural agricultural cycle has Tishrei at the beginning, which is why, you know, we have Tishrei for us for counting. It's funny that the Gemara, by the way, does not mention, if I told you the number of the year increments on Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, what, what number of the year would you say it gets incremented? What number for us increments on Rosh Chodesh Tishrei? What? The Briyasa Olam, right? The counting not to a king, right? But for a creation. 5774. Five, not right. Not, not 2013. <laughs> right? Where we increment from creation. It's interesting that the Gemara does not reference that as a way of documenting Shvarot. Okay, but normally, anyway, we, you know, the year presumably, the natural way, I've always assumed, is to start at Tishrei. We'll see later in the Gemara, Tishrei, Niva Olam, and so on. That's when we assume that the world was created. We'll get to that in a minute. But more than just the issue of counting from creation is the fact that the agricultural cycle it's like the school year begins in September right so why does the school year begin in September well that's you know why don't we school because people, the kids would go home and help their parents on the farm right and then you know and then whatever the new agricultural cycle would begin you know would, co- would, would begin in September and that's when, the, that's when the plowing and the planting and all of that begins right and that's why uh, what do you call it um, Sukkot is Bitzay Tashana or Bitzkufa Tashana so because by, the, by Sukkot it's when you're ending one period and you're gathering in the grain from one and you're beginning the next period so the agricultural cycle naturally is a Tishrei and then the Torah comes along and says no now it's not just about the natural world there's about history and God and HaChodesh HaZelechem Rosh Chadashim there's a different way of counting there's a way of counting from redemption and from God's intervention in history and you know and that that creates its own type of a of a cycle and a way of perceiving of time not just in terms of the natural world and that's you know the Chiddush of that, that the month starts from Nisan and Rosh Chadashim although the years in this end are still incrementing from Tishrei in terms of Briyat Olam it explains why you have that bizarre thing that the months are numbered from Nisan and the years are numbered from Tishrei there are essentially two different cycles going on here the natural agricultural and the historical Jewish revelation so that explains this difference also again about the Jewish kings Nisan non-Jewish kings Tishrei the only thing that a little throws a wrench in it you know is that and I have to like look into this more but somebody told me that in, in Babel the, you know because they got these also names of the months from Babylon that actually the uh, year did start in uh, in uh, Nisan not in Tishrei so it wasn't only sort of the Jew apparently you know because that's another logical way to start the year spring is the time where you know things are coming alive there's like the dead of winter and then they re- and right well it's also redemptive in terms of Geulah and historic history but even if look, look at the natural world when would you say the year begins you know planting begins in, in Tishrei you know in the fall but the 
birthing maybe you know begins in the spring so apparently that's you know it's not just so that's another sort of way in which sort of in a natural sense Nisan could be seen as the beginning of the year as well why do we date to both Isha and Griyata yeah so that's a good question let's hold off on that a bit because you know again in the uh, it used to be that there was this thing called Minyan Shtarot as well so uh, so let's let's move on a bit in the Gemara so the Gemara says like this okay so anyway so it depends how you're counting Jewish kings Nisan non-Jewish kings so the Gemara says, um, So one minute. So if Rav Chizda says the difference between Malchai Yisrael and Malchai Yomot Olam, right, um, and that's when the Gemara, when the Mishnah says Nisan, it's only talking about Malchai Yisrael. So it's so it sounds like he's saying his old Chiddush. Ah, I'm going to tell you something. The Mishnah says Nisan, but that's only for Malchai Yisrael. You know, Malchai Yomot is different. But now you're telling me that's the Pshat in the Mishnah. When the Mishnah says Tishrei is years, it means non-Jewish kings, years go from Tishrei. So why is this Chizda saying a Chiddush? It's really just Pshad in the Mishnah. So you could say he's telling me what the Mishnah means, but okay. So the Mishnah says, Lo, Rav Chizda cry Rav Chizda is coming to explain to us Psukim, meaning that there are Psukim, you know, about, uh, if you remember, the Gemara quoted the Psukim about how we know that you increment the years. And he quoted some psukim from Nehemiah, remember, by the Persian kings, mm-hmm. and there was Tishrei, and by the Jewish kings, Shlomo was Nisan. So Rav Chizda was not coming to explain the Mishnah. The Mishnah does, in a way, reflect those two countings. Rav Chizda was coming to reconcile the verses. Okay, so what have we said now? Version number one is that the Mishnah, when it says Mlachim, means counting for non-Jewish kings, and for Jewish kings, and that's Nisan. And when it says Gzundayk and when it says Shanim, it means counting for non-Jewish kings, and that's from Tishrei. Okay, Ibai Sam, if you want, I'll tell you. You know what, you're right. Rav Chizda saying his Chiddush, and he's saying his Chiddush in the Mishnah, and he's making a distinction between Nisan and Tishrei, but he's saying it about, you know, Jewish and non-Jewish kings, but he's saying that as his own Chiddush. It's not pshat, it's not what the second phrase in the Mishnah means. So what does the second phrase in the Mishnah mean when it says Tishrei is the beginning of years? It means something else. It means what Rabbi Zeira says. What does Rabbi Zeira says? Rabbi Zeira Amar Lit Kufa. Rabbi Zeira says the purpose of saying Tishrei is the beginning of years is for Tikufa. Which means what? It means for the astronomical cycle. For identify, for sort of counting, how do we, you know, when we figure out the astronomy, like, you know, when they sort of figure out, like, when do you say, Birchat HaChama, when the sun is back to where it was, its position. Well, yes, but here also, right, the position of the sun relative to the constellations, right, and where was that when the world was created? So, well, when was the world created? So he's basically saying that he believes that this goes, that Tishrei is when the world was created and therefore when you want to sort of figure out where are we relative to the original placement of the sun and the stars and the constellations so you should know that we are going to sort of focus on how everything was sort of you know the place everything was on the first of Tishrei now it's really a a little sort of like you know glossing over the problem here which is what difference does it make Right? You know where things are now. You know, if you sort of know the, the math, you know, sort of, you know, the system in which they work, you sort of, retro, you know, you retroactively figure out where they were. So 5,774 years ago in Tishrei, they were in place X. And 5,774 years ago in Nisan, they were in place Y. So other than for the halacha of Birchat HaChama, who cares? I mean, it's, you know, it's just an arbitrary point in, uh, you know, in a process that you're sort of counting from. So there's a long Tosvos, which I have to tell you I didn't really understand because he gets into all the computation of Kufot, which yeah. was beyond me, but he tries to sort of explain why sort of some of this matters in terms of what you define as your starting point. At least I'll say the Nafkamin is for Birchat HaChama, which is the one halacha which is based on where we think everything was, you know, B'Shas Priyasa Olam. Yes. But our uh, our custom for Birchah Hama is actually based on the new year being in Nisan. Because um, we say it right before Pesach. Hmm. Is that true? That yeah. that's, it's based on the position? It, it was it's actually air Pesach the last time. Because it's so funny because in all other ways we say that we basically passed in the petition of Ha'olam. Yeah. And, and, and it's in our P.U.T.M. on Yom Kippur. But Birchah Hama is always in Nisan. Hmm. Wow, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. That is a good point. Okay. So anyway, Rebbe Eliezer, and this is going according to Rebbe Eliezer, Da'amar Betishrei Niva Olam. 
So therefore, if you want to figure out where we are, sort of, you know, in terms of the positioning of the sun and the stars and the seasons and so on, then he's saying that, you know, that we sort of look back to uh, the first of Tishrei is the beginning of a new astronomical year. Okay. Yes. Whereas the Preston Charles point by saying that, yes, Right, right, right. But Charlie, right. Meaning, it's certainly possible to hold Tishrei. Yes, yeah. but Charlie, I think. But the point still is, is that what do you call it? Is that uh, is that it is a little bizarre because in other areas we hold that you know we basically say Tishrei Niva Olam. Right, right. No, but Charlie, right. Charlie is not asking what's on the Gemara. He's pointing out an, uh, an inconsistency between our general attitude right. of Tishrei Niva Olam and our saying of Yerchas Hachama in Nisan. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. But yes. But this time it could hold. It's all right. It's all the same. Yes. So I have a similar question along that line. If Tishrei would be Medusa, let's just say in Tishrei on the first day of Tishrei. No, so that's another good point also because it's about, because if you, but when we really say Niva Olam, it's really we're saying when Adam was created and therefore we actually say that the world was created like on the 25th of Elul, really, and not on the first, right? And that's actually in the beginning of Tosos. If you take a look at this Tosos, he says, um, about 10 lines down, he says like this, um, with line that starts with the word Dishmuel, he says, "Savak Rabbi Yeshua, the Rabbi Eliezer, the Chafei be'Elul Niva Olam, Rabbi Yeshua, the Chafei be'Adar, Hainu de'Kashini ve'Adam, the Shishi Kidesh Chodesh, and then and that's when it was either Rosh Chodesh Tishrei or Rosh Chodesh Nisan." Okay. Um, anyway, but he starts to go through all the astronomical things. Yes, Charlie, you wanted to say something? Okay. So now let's go on. Okay. So he says, "Rosh Hashanah is Tishrei," basically means that we would say, in, 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 just a simple nafkamina is if you're counting by Biyat Olam, that's when you increment the Shvarot, which goes back to those points, um, Dovel's point there, which is that it seems from the Gemara they're not referring to Biyat Olam as a system of, of dating Shvarot. They're only referring to the idea of Melachim. Otherwise, that would have been an easy sort of application of this. Okay, but one explanation is it's a way of counting the years for non-Jewish kings. The other answer is that it is the way of identify, counting the years from creation um, and from, you know, and it's used for sort of a, an astronomical years and for astronomical computations. Rav Nachman by Yitzchak Amar Ledin. And now we actually turn to what for us is the significance of Rosh Hashanah. It is a day of judgment. So you are judged for the whole year on Rosh Hashanah. So it's the new year, the way we experience the new year. You're being judged for the following year. God looks at the land or looks at the people from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And from the beginning of the year, God is giving a judgment what will be at the end. And how do you know that's from Tishrei? Tishrei. Right? The puzzle that's often interpreted in the context of Rosh Hashanah and the end of the puzzle is Chok and how do we know that's going to be Tishrei and Rosh Hashanah well you could just say Tiku Bachode Shofar you're blowing the Shofar okay but the Gemara underscores it even more Edu Chag what is the holiday that the month is covered? You don't see the moon. The only holiday, right? What's the only chag in our calendar that the moon is not really visible or barely visible? It's only a sliver. That's Rosh Hashanah. It's funny that it just skips over the tikubach, the shofar part. Okay. And the next, and then the verse says, It is a day of judgment for God, for the, for the people, and that's why it is Rosh Hashanah, is the Sanim, means we are judged for the following year. By the way, Tosus always discusses this idea of Chodesh Mitkasebo, an interesting position of one of the Baalei HaTosvot, that claimed that what it meant was, was that there was no Korban of Musaf of Rosh Chodesh on Tishrei, because there was only a Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, not a Musaf of Rosh Chodesh. And then Tosus says, you can't say that, why? Not because there was a Pasuk that said he couldn't say that, but there's a Tosefta that says... <laughs> So you definitely bring the Korban Musaf of Rosh Chodesh on Rosh Hashanah as well. So then he comes, he says, no, 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 I didn't mean that. What I meant was, of course you're bringing a Korban of Rosh Hashanah. What I meant was, was that the Psukim sort of, you know, you know, sort of hide the fact. They obfuscate the fact that there is a Korban of Rosh Chodesh and that we also don't mention it in our davening. 
that when we do a Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, we do not bring out its identity as Rosh Chodesh. Right? Rosh Hashanah is both Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Chodesh. But, you know, that other identity gets subsumed. So technically, you're right, there is a Musaf, but it is not something that we, that we sort of focus on. It gets hidden, that other identity. And we don't say it in the Musaf of Shimon Esrei. And then Rabbi Nitam says, actually, I disagree. We do say it in the Musaf of Shimon Esrei. And that's why in Rosh Hashanah, we follow Rabbi Nitam. I don't know what the Sephardim do, but we follow Rabbi Nitam, and we say, uh, we say, Muvat, you know, Musfe, uh, you know, Musfe, what's the exact language? What? We make explicit reference to the fact that there's also a korban of Rosh Chodesh, but that line actually was inserted by Rabbeinu Tam. And so wow. this interesting read of... Changing the Shmonesh, Interesting read of Chodesh Mitzkaseh means its identity as Rosh Chodesh is subsumed and hidden. Yes. Two so. short things. First of all, the pshat of the Pasuk is... Rosh Chodesh, not any one right. day a year, but right. Right. In other words, one right. day is a second. Right. 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 Um, okay, now we have a little Agadita. I believe me, we'll have plenty of Agadita around Rosh Hashanah as a Yom Adin, but because we're now introducing that idea, we'll have a little Agadita. Yes? David, you have a question? I was just thinking of maybe it's not exactly the same. When, when um, the woman goes, when the son dies, you know, and she goes to the prophet to Elijah, yeah. the husband said, why are you going to this not Rosh Hashanah? Right. Yeah, that's what I just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, which indicates an idea that there was a pilgrimage ideas around the first. It also indicates a pilgrimage ideas around Shabbat, which is a different well, issue, right? What how do you mean you, How could you be right? So not well again, sort of so to going to a wise person, not exactly going to the temple. Anyway, all right, let's take a look. Right, right. Right, right, right. Exactly. And that exactly does tie into that other verse. Exactly. Yeah, so the soul, the soul, the soul. I'm sorry? <coughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, Pshat and Sukkim definitely is that there was, like, you know, for us, Rosh Chodesh doesn't mean anything. It means Chati Chati, you know, you know, it means Chati Halel and Musaf, right? But it does seem that Rosh Chodesh was, if you're bringing the Musaf, did have some broader resonance and significance as a God. But again, this is being read not as Rosh Chodesh, but as Rosh Hashanah. So this is a beautiful idea. You know, it's a common idea throughout in general Torah Shabbat is the partnership between God and the people. God gives the law, we interpret it and apply it, so we're sort of partnering with God in what the Torah is. We also partner with God in terms of the calendar. Right? That there's, on the one hand, the natural idea of Shabbat, which is, uh, just occurs all by itself. But then you get to the Moadim and Asher Tam. On the one hand, sort of God creates the natural reality of the moon, but we still have to look at it, interpret it, you know, and give it religious significance. So there's like a type of Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat Peg going on there, that type of partnership. And even in the very idea of this, the, of Rosh Hashanah as a Yom Hadin, which would seem that the whole idea of Din is you as the sort of subject, you know, complete submission to authority, but it's only through our role and participation and partnering that we created as a Yom Adin, that we actually create, we, you know, we sanctify the month and create the day as Rosh Chodesh and hence as Rosh Hashanah. So I think a very powerful idea, particularly applied in general, but applied in the context of Din. Actually, it's a common uh, theme, theme I use sometimes, common whatever, when I, when I have to give a sermon on Rosh Hashanah, thankfully I'm not a show rabbi, so I don't have that often. But, <laughs> anyway, a good, a good, day, a good sort of, uh, you know, in the yeshiva we talk about nuggets for sermons. <coughs> a good nugget that I have for a second day of Rosh Hashanah, a second day of Rosh Hashanah um, uh, drasha is that, um, you know, there's, there's the famous Midrash, I'm not saying this, whatever. Anyway, there's a Midrash, or a, I think it's in the Zohar, a statement that the difference of the din on the first day of Rosh Hashanah and the second day of Rosh Hashanah is that the first day is like a harsh din, and the second day is like a sweetened din, a softer din, a more compassionate din. Um, and what I say is, you know, one way that that's interpreted is that the first day you're sort of judged on your own merit. 
sorry, you know, me, uh, who will stand before God on their own merits. The second day, we're judged as a community and collectively, mm-hmm. so, you know, there we have everybody else's merits and we're looked at as an entirety, and that's a, that's a softer, or a sweeter thing. So, what's the shot? So I say, because if you think about it, how can we call the second day Rosh Hashanah Yom Hadin? Right? Second day Rosh Hashanah is just, it's like, it's because of fake of the Yoma. Yeah. It's because of a minog, it's because of a doubt. It's like God never said it was the Yoma. Then you guys want to, like, not do malacha, that's your business. Like, I'm only, I only said that the first day I'm was going to judge you. Because the Kiddush is that no, that we can actually turn it into a Yoma Din by creating it as a Rosh Hashanah. We can also steer the way you know, work with God and make even make it what God didn't say was a Yom Din, we're gonna make it as a Yom Din. But if what makes a Yom Din is sort of us working, you know, at the communal level to you know, to change its status, you know, so therefore it's a din for us as an entire community and for us sort of in terms of our uh, our not, you know as a people and our relationship with God and not just as an individual so that's my whole little second day Rosh Hashanah Drasha mm-hmm. that <laughs> goes to this idea of this Gemara <coughs> underscoring which is true about every Rosh Hodesh and every Moe but underscoring the power of that idea in the context of Yom Hadin it's only Yom Hadin because you've made you know you've been Makadish Hodesh yes uh, so on Rosh Hashanah at the very end of that Ah, right, right. Yeah, that's that idea of the sweetening of the din. Right. So that's the Lamei Shein Bishti Shamala Nishnafim Ladin. The ultimate heavenly court does not enter in. So the, the court doesn't begin. You know, the judge doesn't come in. The witnesses don't come in. Elin Kein Kishu Beis Shamata Chodes. You guys have to sanctify the month. Which, again, if you didn't sanctify the month, still be Rosh Chodesh at least by day 31, but you get the idea. Tiny Eda, we tell him another bride. That's the Chok Yisrael who, what does it mean Chok Yisrael, right? So that was Chok Yisrael, Mishpat Leilo HaYakov. The Jewish people see it and make, a, make it a, a Yom Adin and then it's the Day of Judgment. Here's another read of the verse. Amy Elo Yisrael. Maybe it's only a Day of Judgment for the Jewish people. Le'umos Ha'ola Minayin. How do I know for the uh, other nations of the world? Tamavamar, Mishpat Leilo HaYakov. It's a Day of Judgment for the God of Jacob. So it's the God of Jacob, but still, judgment is for everyone. Not just judgment for Israel. In Yisrael. So why does it say start by saying a judge, you know, a, a law, an edict for Israel? Because the, the Israel, the Jewish people, are the ones that are judged first. Like Rav Chizda says, If it's the king and the community, um, all have to stand in judgment before God. The king is the one that gets judged first. God does the judgment of his servant, which is one individual, so here understood to be the leader, and then afterwards the judgment of the entire nation. So, my timer, what's this, what is this, what is the reason behind this? I mean, whatever this means on a metaphysical plane, okay, but somehow there's a sense of first focusing on the king, and then the community, or here first Israel and then the rest of the world. So, number one is, it's not Derek Eretz to have the king waiting and cooling his heels outside in the hallway while the other people are sitting in judgment. So, it's an issue of honor. You know, the way you show honor to the king, for honor to the Jewish people, and so on, is they get to go first. You get to go to the front of the line. You don't have to wait in line. The Ebais, they might have no idea how to train, what that means. The Ebais, I mean, I know what it means, but okay. The Ebais, Ema, Mikni, Delay, Fushkar, and Ak. No, you want to be judged first before God gets uh, very angry. Like, he starts seeing this sin and this sin and that sin. So, by the time he gets to the people he's judging later, right then, he's fed up with all the sinning, and then there's going to be some more sort of consequence. Now, okay, the high degree of anthropomorphism, I can't even begin to explain, you know, what that means exactly. Um, But I would also sort of say that you could have said the exact opposite, because this is being framed as... It's done this way in order to let the king, or by now the Israel, off easier, right? And get the anger out of the people, get the anger, or get the anger out of the non-Jews, okay? But in a way, if you think about the king analogy, you know, the logic would go the other way, right? The king is the one who has, you know, the buck stops here, is the one who ultimately is responsible, and if the people are sinning or there's a problem, like, he's the one that was in a position to do the most about it, so he's the one that should actually be carrying the brunt of the weight of responsibility. You know, and you could have said it that way. Why is he judged first? 
because not like God only starts looking at all the sins after the other people. God knows the whole story, and you bring the person who's responsible, you bring them in first, and you give them the judgment for their responsibility. You know, their heightened responsibility for everything. And if you read it that way, the issue of the Jewish people also, you know, what's the idea of the analogy of king to people and Jewish people to love? You know, you could speak about this idea of, you know, what's the Apostle say? It says, Right. We have this unique relationship to God. We should know better, um, you know, in terms of what we do and our sitting and whatever. We're supposed to be an orla goyim. So you could speak about, you know, you could make an analogy that way. You know, we get judged first because we have a larger responsibility. You know, and not in the, so and you know so not the way the Gemara has it, which is to get off easy. Okay, so it's quite interesting, sort of the way the Gemara framed it, and I have a hard, uh, you know. Anyway, I have a hard time explaining exactly what the point is about the way the Gemara sort of framed the whole issue. Yes. Well, the other problem is if the king isn't righteous, that's going to make God mad at the people even more. Yeah, but that's the whole point here. God is going to get mad eventually. So you'd rather be <laughs> at the beginning of the line rather than get the brunt of the anger. That's the whole point. But I'm saying, you know, okay, so I don't understand what that means that God gets increasingly angry, like he only finds out about the stuff after, you know, he's been through a few people. And also, like, it doesn't seem to me, like, why should the king get off easy? You know? So if anything, it should be the opposite. And you could explain it the opposite way. Yes. For, for those who think that uh, Wall Street Titans got off easy, yeah. Right, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right, you, always find, you always find some patsy to sort of take the blame. All right, Urushmitin. Now, okay, so by the way, notice, I should note that this was one read, probably not the most chosen <laughs> of this line in the Mishnah that Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah for being judged. Right? It's one read the Gemara had this nice little agata, we had a nice little discussion, but it's probably not shot in the mission. I want to remind you of this point that a first mission which introduces the Rashi Shana, it's talking about obfuscating and you know, Rosh Chodesh, it sort of obfuscates the significance of Rosh Chod- of Rosh Hashanah of Kishret. Right? It's not any more significant than Elul or than Nisan or than whatever Shvat. And, you know, it's just somewhere buried in the list. And the whole idea of it as a chad and as a yomadin is also, you know, not really explicit, probably not even, this is probably not even shot. So that's worth thinking about again, and in a step that I mentioned this on the first day, that's devoted to Rosh Hashanah, the way it starts by downplaying, you know, and almost hiding the significance of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, we'll go back to that once we start talking about it as a yomadin more explicitly. Yes. I, I read this phrase, the lifos haronav, in exactly the opposite way. Why can't it be that they go first because all the anger comes out, right? There. Yeah, because of the word mikni before before increases the Kharan ah. I read it I read yeah. it Makme pause. No. They come first, no. lifts in order to absorb all the rage and they come Yeah, out. it's a very creative rereading, but it's not yeah. shot. Okay. Ulishmita. All right. It was So now it's Rosh Hashanah also for Shemitah. The Shemitah year begins on um Tishrei. Okay. Minola, how do you know? How do you, maybe, who knows, maybe it begins in Nisan. How do you know that the Shemitah, you know, the seven-year cycle is, is incremented and defined by Tishrei? So it says a year, and we learn from Tishrei, which we just got through proving was Tishrei. So if that Shana means Tishrei, this Shana, this year cycle for um, the Shemitah is also Tishrei. It says, the Ligmar Shana Shana Nisan, how about it says Shana also by Nisan? It's the first of the month, which we know is Nisan. No, it says the Gemara, Donim Shana Sheini Machadashim, Nisan Sheini Machadashim. The two occur- occurrences, Shabbat Shabbat you know, Bashana Hashivi'i did not have the word Chodesh. And Mereshit Hashana did not have the word Chodesh. So that's simple Shana. Simple Shana without the emphasis of Chodesh is Tishrei. The Eindamim Shana Sheinim HaChadashim, you don't look at a passage that says Shana Hashri'it without mentioning Chodesh. Mishana Sheyeshim HaChadashim from the verse of Nisan, Rishon Hu Lachem L'Chadshe HaShana, which mentions Shana in the context of Chodesh. And by the way, you know, you could just say it's a technical point, you know, different phrasing of the words, so, you know, you have to make your Zeva Shava in the most similar way. But it also could be that, no, the significance of Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah for Chodashim. 
The significance of Nisan is that's when you begin the months, the months counting, but that is not to be applied to other cases where it's about the year as a whole. That starts at Tishrei. But Tishrei is, as we said, there are two systems going on, the agricultural one, the pre Torah one, if you would, you know, that, the, that is Tishrei incremented, and then the Rishon Huachem, the, the Nisan one. And for these agricultural mitzvot, we are going by the agricultural cycle of the year, which is defined as Tishrei. Okay, so that's Shemitah. Uli Yovrot, and for Yovel. So the Gemara says, Yovrot, the Tishrei. Does the Yovel happen on the first of Tishrei? Who? Yovel, the Yom Kippur. Yovel happens on Yom Kippur. You see, the Yom Kippurim, Tavir Shafar, Bechol Arsachem. So it's not the first of Tishrei. And we know in the Mishnah we deal with things that are in the middle of the month separately. One in Shvat, 15 in Shvat. So how here do we just say Tishrei for Yovel? It's really the tenth of Tishrei. Yeah, you're right. But the author of our Mishnah is Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yochan ben Broca, that gives weight even for Yovel to the first of Tishra. The time we saw the Brisa, the Kiddush ten, each not for Chamishim Shana. You shall sanctify the fiftieth year. Why does it say sanctify the year? Right? It already tells you what you do on Yom Kippur. Because since the verse says that you blow the Shofar on Yom Kippur, that's when things start. Maybe the year only gets sanctified and gets its identity as a Yom year starting in Yom Kippur. You sanctify the whole year, and when the year begins, when the year begins is on Rosh Hashanah. The sanctity starts from its very beginning, which, as we learned before, and we know by from Shemitah, which is you know sort of part of the cycle. This is part of is Tishrei. So the sanctifying of the year means the beginning of the year. So now, what's then the significance of Yom Kippur? So Mitan Broka. Here's how they here's how it would play out. And Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippurim from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, Lo you have Adin Nistarim Lebatehem, Velo Mishtabim Radunehem. You'd be sort of in this, you know, middle zone, limbo. like limbo, exactly. The slaves wouldn't go home; they wouldn't be freed. How do you know? Because what is this over Thursday after you shall you shall you know blow the shofar? Right, right the puzzle from the liberty bell. You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land. That's what the blowing of the shofar is. No bells, shofar. Okay, so the slaves slaves aren't free until Yom Kippur, but the the year is sanctified from Rosh Hashanah. So they are not yet the status as free men has not yet been realized, but at the same time you cannot enslave them. Okay, the same way you can't let they work the land starting on Rosh Hashanah, right? Actually, it was also true last year because of Shemitah. But you know, you cannot have that control over them. But that actual ultimate <coughs> redemption and freedom only comes on Yom Kippur. Lo are you They would not go home. and they would not be, you know, um, enslaved to their masters. They would eat and drink and rejoice. You know, because of anticipating what will happen. They could be wearing crowns on their heads. You know, they could be going around <coughs> acting like big shots. Ki and Shidia Yom Kippurim, and when Yom Kippur came, Kipu Basin the shofar. They would blow the shofar. Then Nisteru Avadim Lebatehem. Then the ultimate redemption would occur. The slaves would go back to their houses. Sadot Chosrot Lebalehem, and the and the fields would go back to their owners. What's also nice about this is it also sort of creates this, you know, because this is all an image of like an Olam Haba and a perfect world and the Yovel. You know, the sense of like redemption doesn't happen in a, like automatically. Like there's a, a middle period where things are, you know, it's like things are better, but it's not yet like, you know, Rav Kook, it's not yet the ultimate redemption. Okay, that takes, uh, that's another stage already. All right. The, uh, the former, Masters can present the bill after their kipper for the food that they Yeah, I was wondering, I was asking that person, who's eating, who, right, who's paying for the food and drink? I was wondering <laughs> that. Okay, so the might as like this. Okay, so therefore it starts at Rosh Hashanah, and the rabbis. Now, by the way, nobody explicitly argues on Rabbi Yochanan Broke, at least not that we see. But the Gemara assumes that that was such his single opinion. Of uh, the other, the rabbis would say he would all start on Yom Kippur. So it all starts. So, so that's the, so, the, so. So what did they do with the idea of sanctifying the fiftieth year? If it all starts on Yom Kippur, that's to tell you something else. Shanima Tamekadesh, you only sanctify years. Which Kiddushem Eitz not 
50 sena, you only sanctify years. You're not sanctifying months. What does that mean? Because there actually is an opinion, which the Gemara is now attributing to these rabbis, that says that in a normal, in a normal case of Kiddush HaChodesh, that Basin does not have an obligation to do Kiddush HaChodesh. You know, that that's what happens naturally. But this act of Mekudash, Mekudash, no, that role of sanctifying is limited to years. The, the jubilee year. It's not something you do by month. Now that's very much against our assumption. Our assumption, right? We always hear that they can accept the witnesses and does this act of sanctification of Mikudash. Is there a that they would say the act of sanctification? I don't think so. Um, oh, you mean by yoga though? Because they were doing yeah. the mitzvah, yeah. maybe. Okay. Um, so, during these 10 days? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe it's also to get the masters, like, acclimate them to what they're going to have to do. <laughs> like, you know, it's really hard to do this. So, if you have 10 days of building up, so process oriented. Uh, there you go. Moving on. Okay. Kind of Ida, we turn another bright side. Yovelhi, Maltama Gomar, it is the Jubilee year. What is that teaching you? Sanctify the fiftieth year. It's the sanctity begins and continues, starts at the beginning of the year and then grows. So it starts on Rosh Hashanah, but it ultimately reaches its apex on Yom Kippur. So the same way that's true at the beginning. So I would logically say maybe the same is true at the end. Like maybe it peters out at the end. Like maybe from Rosh Hashanah of year 51 to Yom Kippur, maybe there's like a, you know, a tapering off. The same way there was a tapering up. I don't know if that's a word. You know, there was an acclimating. There's also like a, you know, a deacclimating at the end. The Al-Sitama, do not be astounded. We have a principle that you add from the non-sanctified to the sanctified you start Shabbos early you end it late so maybe the Torah will be telling me that the yoga year should go through the Yom Kippur of the next year in the same way it moves you know if there's a process of moving up maybe there's a process of moving down so that's why the verse says no Yovel he it is the Jubilee year the 50th year only the 50th year you do not sanctify the 51st year and just one more line Rabbanan now the rabbis who don't think there was an acclimating process for them maybe it would be obvious you would not go into the next year so according to the rabbis why do you need the puzzle to say Yovel Ki obviously it's only about the 50th year for the following purpose to tell you, you count the year, the 50th year, now you don't, now, now you could read it as, you don't count it as 51. And the answer is, of course you don't count it as 51, it's 50. So the real gear for here, as it says, is without the vav. You count this as the 50th year, and you don't count the 50th year, one. Why might you count it as one? One four for the next cycle. So here's the question: Is it a 49-year cycle or a 50-year cycle? When does one begin? Does one begin on year 50 or on year 51? So this is saying Yovel he This is only year 50. It is not year one. Year one will be next year. Okay, Lafu came in Rebbe Yehuda to reject the position of Rebbe Yehuda. The Amar Shnas Chamishim Olei Lekan Lekan. Rebbe Yehuda says year fifty counts as the fiftieth year of the previous and the beginning year number one of the next cycle. It's a forty-nine year cycle. Kamash Malan below, and for them they would need the puzzle to say it is the fifty. All it is is the fiftieth year, and that's its entire identity. Year one will begin next year. Okay. Thank you.